Sports Crunch is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one in customized sports equipment and apparel. In honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Top Choice Athletics is proud to release their 2018 Breast Cancer Awareness Bottle. Support the fight. All profits from this bottle will be donated to the American Cancer Society. Top Choice Athletics is dedicated to supporting the fight against breast cancer and encourages everyone to join in the cause. Also, for this month only, get free shipping when you purchase any item from the website using the promo code TOGETHERWECAN. For more information, visit www.topchoiceathletics.com or email sales at topchoiceathletics.com. Make sure to follow Top Choice Athletics on Facebook and Instagram for updates on their spotlight athletes, discounts, sales, and new product releases at Real TC Athletics on Twitter and at Top Choice Athletics on Facebook and Instagram. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromolo. It is hard to believe we are almost halfway through this 2018 NFL season. It's been a wild ride so far. So wild, it seems like a year has gone by. But if you think what we just went through these past seven weeks was wild, you ain't seen nothing yet, haven't you, Hal Bent? That is completely true. And now we're coming up on a trading deadline coming up in the NFL this people moving from team to team who's in who's out it's just constant fun with the nfl right now for all us fans oh it most certainly is and we will talk about this trade tsunami that is well underway even before the deadline in a minute but let's talk about our takeaways from week seven and here are mine uh after getting absolutely embarrassed in the thursday night stinker bowl last week The clock has got to start ticking on Steve Wilkes in Arizona. I understand he's a rookie head coach. Yes, he inherited a poor roster, but he puts his players in bad positions. He doesn't play Patrick Peterson to his strengths. Instead of uh, making him a man cover corner that follows the team's number one receiver, no, we're just going to use you as a zone coverage corner that covers half the field. And uh, Mike McCoy, who rightfully got fired uh he had has no idea david johnson even exists that team is just poorly coached and they need a new coaching staff to oversee the development of josh rosen that is all there is to it and my second takeaway the jacksonville jaguars the real blake bortles has shown up last year what he showed was a mirage the real blake bortles is back And that is why the Jacksonville Jaguars will forever regret drafting Leonard Fournette over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and extending Blake Bortles instead of signing either Teddy Bridgewater or Kirk Cousins instead. The Jaguars, it's a shame. With that talented defense of yours, you just might have blown a big opportunity. Great point, David, on that. I definitely had Jacksonville circled on my takeaways for this week. I mean, the the Blake Bortles situation is just blowing up in their face. And to look at this team that's been on the field for the last two weeks with that anemic offense and compare that to the team that soundly trounced the New England Patriots in week two of this NFL season barely a month and a half ago. It's a complete 180 on offense for Jacksonville. And now you're looking at a team that's three and four going overseas to play the defending Super Bowl champions in what's basically become a must win game for them here in week eight. It's unbelievable the road that that team has traveled so far this season. 
Indeed, and it's also a must-win game for the Eagles, who are coming off a gut-wrenching loss to the Carolina Panthers. So that game Sunday morning uh, could be do or die for either the Eagles or Jaguars. Indeed, you are correct, David. And my other takeaway from this week is Titans head coach Mike Vrabel going for the two-point conversion instead of the tie when he was overseas uh, last week. And I still think he made the right decision to go for the two-point conversion. The blame isn't on Mike Vrabel. The blame is on offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, who did not give his quarterback, Marcus Mariota, one of the best running quarterbacks inside the 10-yard line, a play where he had an option to roll out and either run the ball into the end zone or cause some confusion in the defenders facing him and force them to make a decision to come up on him and give him a chance to throw the ball to an open receiver. It was They had two shots. They were terrible play calls, and that's on the offensive coordinator, not on Vrabel. A freaking men, Hal. I admire Mike Vrabel so much for playing the win in that situation. He absolutely made the right decision. The blame is on Matt LaFleur and not Mike Vrabel at all. I would have gone for it 10 times out of 10 in that situation because I don't want overtime. I want to win. And that's all there is to it. And now moving on to this trade tsunami. And next Tuesday, October 30th, Halloween Eve, is the NFL trading deadline. And already we have seen a flurry of trades. The Jacksonville Jaguars acquiring Carlos Hyde from the Cleveland Browns. The Dallas Cowboys acquiring Amari Cooper from the Raiders. And also yet uh, in recent days, the Saints acquiring Eli Apple from the New York Giants. And the New York Giants also sending Snacks Harrison to the Detroit Lions. But let's talk about this Amari Cooper trade. The Dallas Cowboys surrender their 2019 first-round pick for a wide receiver, Amari Cooper, that has not lived up to expectations being a top-five pick in the 2015 NFL Draft. And they're hoping a change of scenery could get... his all-star qualities out of him. But at this time, at least on paper, how historically horrendous does the Cowboys trade for Amari Cooper look? It looks terrible. I mean, the going rate for an underperforming veteran wide receiver was already set by Cleveland. Josh Gordon was a fifth-round draft pick and a conditional one at that. Anything more than a, okay, maybe one round better, anything more than a fourth-round pick, is unfathomable to me to trade to trade for for a wide receiver that's really struggled these past two years in Amari Cooper. He's had the drops, and I don't blame John Gruden for making that deal. I think that's an A-plus on his side and his general manager, Reggie McKenzie, in being able to get a first-round pick for Amari Cooper because Dallas, that's an overreaction. That's a reach, and that's called, gee, maybe you should have brought back Des Bryant because he would have been a lot cheaper than that. Oh, I completely agree. And the Raiders, they might have gotten fleeced by the Bears of the Khalil Mack trade, but they more than made up for it here. They will have three first-round picks this spring. And how many all-pro or Pro Bowl campaigns does Amari Cooper need to have with the Cowboys in order to meet the value of this trade? At least three in the next four years because I just don't – I mean I understand he's, what, 24 years old. He's only been in the league a few years, but his value has been plummeting. And Dallas just – I just don't understand the move. It just doesn't make sense to me. 
Oh, he most certainly does, Hal. And when I first heard the Cowboys got Amari Cooper, I was like, okay, uh, Dak Prescott has a mouth with uh, unfulfilled potential to feed now. That should help uh, make more room for Zeke in the running game. And uh, maybe Dak is better than Derek Carr, that Amari Cooper will benefit from a change of scenery. But when I heard about the compensation, I was like, that's it. I don't understand this. I just can't support this at all. The Cowboys uh, screwed it up. It's not who you get, it's what you get him for. They really reached here, and Amari Cooper is going to have to be an absolute stud these next three to four years in order for this trade to make any sense, which it currently does not at all. And another guy who's been the subject of trade rumors, albeit uh, rumors that have died down convincingly these past uh, 48 hours or so, is Patrick Peterson. And it is highly unlikely at this moment that he is going to be traded, albeit never say never. The situation remains fluid, and we got um, six days left until the trading deadline. So if you're a contender, like the Kansas City Chiefs, for instance, who need all the defensive help they could get, especially on the back end, would you be willing to go all in, with Pat Mahomes on his rookie contract and trade a first-round pick for Patrick Peterson. That is a tough cost for Kansas City. Now, like you said, they are in a position where they should have one of the top two picks in the AFC. They should be a title contender this year. And year by year, you never know what breaks you're going to have, who's going to be healthy, who's not going to be healthy, how the ball's going to bounce. And when you're in position after having missed out in the playoffs the last few years, they really have to look long and hard at how can we beef up this defense at the trading deadline. And if I'm Kansas City, I think I would go all in. And if I had an opportunity to get Patrick Peterson – I would be trying to outbid those other teams because he would be a huge addition to that defense and automatically vault them from where they are as the best team in the AFC to approaching uh, Los Angeles Rams level of NFL dominance at this time. Oh, absolutely. That is something General Manager Brett Veach and Andy Reid are definitely going to have to consider these next six days. And moving on to another name that's been subject of trade talks for quite a while, and that is Le'Veon Bell. But the caveat here is the team that acquires Le'Veon Bell in a hypothetical trade cannot sign him to a new deal until after the season. And it's doubtful Le'Veon Bell is going to want to sign that new extension in February or March before hitting the open market. So what trade value, if any, do you think Le'Veon Bell has at this point? I think Bell is basically leveraging himself out of being involved in any trade at all. I mean, before he Pittsburgh can even trade him, they have to get in contact with him, get him to the table to sign his franchise tender, and he could basically hold off on that until after the trade deadline and basically force Pittsburgh to either pay him what he wants next year or have him leave for a compensatory pick in 2020. Oh, that is a very good point, and there is no sign Le'Veon Bell is returning to the Steelers anytime soon, so uh, it is unlikely at the moment he'll be traded, and what team would you think would be, would try to make an overture to Le'Veon Bell at the moment? Well, I would have said Jacksonville with Leonard Fournette out, but where they've already gone and got Carlos Hyde, that kind of takes them out of the equation for that. 
Washington's having great success with Adrian Peterson at running back. I don't think there's any need for him there. And really, you would look at maybe Minnesota as that contender with Dalvin Cook still not healthy enough to play that could really use an influx of a great ground game to really elevate them up and challenge the Rams and the Saints out West. So I think Minnesota would be that team that would really benefit from having Le'Veon Bell right now. Uh, They expect Dalvin Cook to be 100% after the bye, I read this morning, so that is something to file away. But if uh, they're not happy with Dalvin Cook's health, then maybe it is something they consider. But knowing Rick Spielman, uh, he's gone all in this year, but Le'Veon Bell might be a bridge too far for him. But that's just my thought. And another name that is uh, subject to a lot of trade rumors is Broncos wide receiver Demarius Thomas. And if you're the Broncos, do you trade Demarius Thomas for anything you could get, even a seventh-round pick, so you can clear some 2019 cap space. Demarius Thomas's scheduled cap hit for 2019 is like $17 million, and he ain't going to get that, folks. Spoiler alert, he ain't going to get that. And you get Cortland Sutton some more well-deserved snaps. So what do you do? I think if you're the Broncos, it's it's a difficult decision because you still have a very, very good defense, albeit that hasn't figured out how to stop the run yet this year. But potentially still an elite defense and they still consider themselves on the edge of the playoff picture right now if you're looking at that second wild card spot they're one game behind a cluster of teams in the AFC East Miami who's going down Cincinnati who's looking like a mirage Baltimore who obviously uh, looks tough but Um, That other spot behind the Chargers, it's still open to them. And I don't think they really want to take that chance of, as the Giants have done, basically punting on this season and telling their fan base, "Eh, we're worried about 2019 right now. Don't worry about the hundreds of dollars that you paid for tickets already for the rest of these games. So I can understand for a roster building why they would want to do that, why John Elway would make that move. But ownership-wise, I don't think they're going to let him do that right now with Demarius Thomas. Yes, and that move with Demarius Thomas might happen at the end of the season where they either restructure his contract or release him. So uh, that might be a more longer-term situation in Denver. And now let's preview one of the two biggest games of the week, and that is the Los Angeles Rams, the lone undefeated team in the NFL, playing host to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers Sunday afternoon at the L.A. Coliseum. And when you look at this Packers team on defense, does anything about this defense who had trouble with C.J. Beathard and the 49ers, for crying out loud, make you confident that they can at least contain this Rams offense? You know, on one hand, you you kind of look at this this team in the Packers and you say, oh, you know, if if they were healthier, if Muhammad Wilkerson was, you know, wasn't on injured reserve, uh, if, the, if the young cornerbacks were playing a little bit better, we, you know, um, Bouchard Breland, if that hamstring healed up and he's ready to go at 100 percent, maybe, maybe you look at it. But then you say, you know what, they're coming off a bye week. You know, the defense has had two weeks to get it together. 
they've had that little extra time to come up with the game plan. And Mike Patton is an excellent defensive coordinator. He gave Tom Brady fits. And if anybody has the defensive mind to go head to head with the Rams right now with an extra week of preparation. Yeah, there's a little hope there for Green Bay in slowing down the Rams, I think. Oh, there definitely is, especially um, with uh, Kenny Clark up the middle. He can make it hard for Todd Gurley to run. And uh, those uh, young corners in Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, uh, they can uh, at least uh, go toe-to-toe with uh, Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. So uh, something to keep an eye on there. And when you go to the Packers' offense... And the Rams' D is very vulnerable against tight ends, as any Wade Phillips defense has been these past several years. Uh, would you try to target Jimmy Graham like eight to ten times or more in this game if you're the Packers? Oh, yeah. If, if I'm the Packers, I'm looking at 12 to 15 times and, and putting a lot of pressure on that Rams' defense because that's where you're going to make that those big chunk plays is in the passing game with your tight ends going up against those linebackers the the Corey Littletons the Rameek Wilsons the, you know they're just not going to be able to stay with those uh with a tight end like Jimmy Graham and there's a possibility for some big plays some extended drives and keeping that Rams the offense on the sideline is a huge advantage if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers can take advantage of those soft spots in the Rams defense. Oh, I completely agree there, Hal. Jimmy Graham would be my X-factor for the Packers in this game, period, end of story. And when you look at the Rams offense, Cooper Cup is doubtful to play again this week. And with Cooper Cup likely to be out again, how much can that potentially limit the Rams offense? Well, the problem is, is with Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks and, you know, you've still got a couple of really good receivers there. And Todd Gurley is really the X factor of that offense because he can do anything. You can give him the ball 25 times to run and he'll put up 100, 150 yards. And you can have him be your third receiver and he'll come out and catch eight to 10 passes and be a force that way and that's just such an x factor in that offense that makes them so hard to defend you can be down a cooper cup but if you've got a todd Gurley, you're still ahead of the game oh you most certainly are and there are several matchups that can decide this game which ones come to mind well the biggest one i think for green bay is going to be trying to slow down that rams pass rush and we saw that last week with the with the rams is that you know doesn't matter if your edge rushers aren't getting home if you've got aaron donald in the middle and he's playing like the defensive mvp he was last year and continues to be he's a one-man wrecking crew on that defense and he's in the backfield every play and if green bay's offensive line can't figure out a way to slow him down whether it's double teams whether it's triple teams um, and take your chances with sue and the edge rushers that packers offensive line that interior the you know, the Lane Taylor, Corey Lindsey, Justin McRae, those guys have got to step up and have a big game and give Aaron Rodgers some time to pick apart those linebackers or try to make plays against that strong secondary. Oh, yes. Uh, the Packers' interior offensive line against Jared Donald and Dominic Sue is a cause for concern for the Packers. And who do you have winning this game? 
Well, kind of an upset, but I, I think I like Green Bay on the road on this one. You know, there's something about, you know, Aaron Rodgers in a big game and this really should be a primetime game, but if they don't they don't want to play it then, that's fine. I'll watch it whenever they put it on TV. And I have Green Bay 31 to 30 over the Rams. As you would say, Hal, we are actually simpatico here, my friend. I have the Packers winning. This is my upset special of the week, if uh, you could call it that, uh, by a final score of 34 to 31. I think Aaron Rodgers, uh, after the bye, is going to be cl- very close to 100%, if not totally 100%. And uh, he will make enough plays to win, and the Packers defense will do enough to contain the Rams offense so Aaron Rodgers could get the last laugh in this game. 34-31 Packers. But speaking of primetime games, this week's primetime game should be a very exciting one. Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints travel to Minnesota to take on the Minnesota Vikings and their red-hot quarterback in Kirk Cousins and their amazing young wide receiver in Adam Thielen who is just tearing apart the league this year and has a chance to tie history this Sunday night and we will talk about that in a bit. But when you look at this game, uh, this game should be a very exciting game. You have the Vikings defense likely without their shutdown quarter Xavier Rhodes, likely without uh, their linebacker Anthony Barr who calls the plays and still likely without Everson Griffin even though he returned to the team yesterday and uh, we are glad that he is back and appears to have uh, figured out a way to deal with his uh, mental health issues so it's great to see Everson Griffin back but seeing him back on the field this week might be a bit of a stretch but the Saints defense on the other hand even though they're healthier they almost uh, let Joe Flacco come back and tie the game, and they had problems with the Ravens' offense through the air, and the Ravens are a much more inferior offense to the Vikings. So do you see a shootout that exceeds the over of 52.5 points in this game? Yeah, I think I do. 52.5 is not high enough. Um I would say 57 isn't high enough in this game. So I'm looking at a high-scoring game definitely with these two teams. Um, Up and down the field, a lot of yards in the air. It's going to be a very, very interesting and high-scoring game for the primetime window there. I am with you there, Hal, 100%. I think this will be a very high-scoring game. It will be the ideal sequel to the Minneapolis Miracle last year, albeit with Kirk Cousins under center as opposed to Case Keenum. And now back to Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen, the first seven games of this season, he has posted 100 or more yards in every single game. And with a 100-yard performance in this game, he will tie the record for consecutive games with 100 yards or more set by Calvin Johnson several years back at eight. So he is going against Marshawn Lattimore, one of the most exciting young corners in this league. And in that matchup, who do you think has the edge and why? Well, I think it's Thielen. You know, Lattimore had a great rookie season and he just you know, I'm not sure what it is, but hasn't quite been at that same level this year. You've seen teams taking a shot on his side of the field more. Um, certainly Ken Crawley hasn't been as strong as he was last year. And I, I think that was especially very early in the season, something that the Saints did not expect and kind of threw them for a loop in those first couple of games of the season. But they're starting to get back to the comfort level. I love Lattimore as a player. He's only 22, but but Thielen, I mean, not only the best wide receiver right now in the NFL, I mean, as far as running routes, getting open, doesn't matter who you got on him right now. He is just 
at another level right now. And he is just having that special season and totally overshadowing Stefan Diggs. And when you look at that and say, not only is Thielen probably the best wide receiver, he's probably on the best deal for a wide receiver, having signed that ridiculous four-year deal for $19 million last year. Oh, you said it, Hal. Adam Thielen is playing like the best wide receiver in football right now, period. And his route running is just incomparable. He just knows how to get open regardless of who he goes up against. And do you think he ties Calvin Johnson's record this Sunday with another 100-plus yard performance? Oh, definitely. I I think both quarterbacks are going to top 300 yards. I don't see any reason why Thielen wouldn't get his 100 and 125 yards this game quite easily as well. And I mentioned the Vikings defense being banged up headed into this game. Do you trust Mike Zimmer to come up with a competent enough game plan to at least contain Drew Brees in the Saints offense? Normally, I would say yes. You know, I mean, when you talk about, you know, your top cornerback, Xavier Rhodes being out, losing Barr, still not having Griffin back, those are three big pieces for any team to be trying to overcome. And I think we've seen with Minnesota uh, this year, especially with that defense, is that they just haven't, whether it's... um, containing a team completely stopping the running game they've been up and down back and forth on that you see some games uh obviously that rams game they couldn't stop anybody beating up on arizona and the jets are going to give you a little more confidence but it's also may have a little overconfidence in that regard as well and with a stronger opponent this week i'm really not sure that minnesota is going to be able to slow down new orleans and drew Brees right now I agree, and that's why I have this as a high-scoring game, and it could very well come down to whoever has the ball last and a couple of matchups as well. Uh, What matchups stand out to you as potentially decisive in this game? Well, one of the things I look at for New Orleans right now is with that Vikings defense, with with, um, Anthony Barr out in the middle of that defense, is how New Orleans is going to be able to run the ball and use their running backs against the Vikings. You know Alvin Kamara. Everybody knows his story. He's one of the most dynamic running backs in the league. But now they've got Mark Ingram back, and he's had a couple of games to to shake off some rust. And when you've got Ingram as the hammer and Kamara, and let's not forget the increased role for Taysom Hill – Call him whatever position you want. He's not a quarterback. He's not a running back. He's not a wide receiver. He's just a playmaker. And you add him into that backfield, and that's a lot of pressure on that Minnesota defense that the Saints can do. And if they get that running game going early, it's going to be a real long day for that Minnesota defense. Yes, and speaking of that running game, uh, the Saints' interior offensive line with uh, Max Unger and uh, Larry Warford and Andrew Speet going against uh, Sheldon Richardson and Linval Joseph, who is expected to be back this week. Uh, That could be very decisive. If Richardson and Joseph, they're going to be the two most important defensive players for the Vikings in this game. If they can neutralize that running game, that could go a long way in helping the Vikings uh, pull off a victory shorthanded. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. And in fact, I think they're going to have to and make New Orleans one-dimensional throwing the football uh, and create a couple of turnovers, whether it's Harrison Smith or uh, Mackenzie Alexander making a big play for Minnesota. That's going to be a must for this team against New Orleans. You said it. And who do you think comes away winning this game? I've got New Orleans winning it on the road. Uh, Again, high-scoring game, like we said, 34-31 New Orleans. I'm in the same ballpark as you, although I have it a bit wider of a margin, 34-27 Saints getting revenge for the Minneapolis miracle last year against an extremely shorthanded Vikings defense. And now moving on to the set my lineup portion of our program. And today my friend Matt Fleischer has sent us his PPR team and he's got an interesting dilemma quarterback this week. Jared Goff going against the Packers in a potential high scoring game or Matthew Stafford against that no-name Seahawks secondary. Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one, but I, you got to ride Goff. You know, he's been just spectacular, and the numbers have dropped a little. There's no doubt about it with that Rams uh, offense, but there's just too much potential for big plays um, and, and too many touchdowns out there for Goff, I think, to, to bench him for anybody not named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but Goff has been struggling a little bit fantasy-wise in recent weeks. Uh, He only threw a couple touchdown passes last week and only threw one the week before. So he's kind of cooled off a bit. So don't you think Stafford might have a higher ceiling this week to a degree? Yeah, you know... It's a tough call. I mean, for my team, you know, one of my theories is that, you know, in fantasy football is you draft the stars to play the stars. And while you're looking at matchups, there's certain players that you just can't bench each week. So um, I can see the Stafford side. I'm really leaning the golf side. Fair enough. We will uh, put Jared Goff in at starting quarterback for you, Matt. And running back, this is pretty easy. Malcolm Brown, Naeem Hines, Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley. Easy. Todd Gurley AP. Oh, without a doubt. That's a slam dunk right there. Yeah, wide receiver. Uh, He has Cooper Cup, but Cooper Cup is unlikely to play. So Sterling Shepard, Julian Edelman, Demarius Thomas, or Antonio Callaway. I would definitely put Julian Edelman in at one of those spots, especially in a PPR league. Sterling Shepard had a great game against a suspect Falcons defense last week. The Redskins are a better defense. Demarius Thomas, uh, he hasn't been that good this year, but the Broncos are going to be playing from behind in that game, and he could see a lot of targets. So Sterling Shepard or Demarius Thomas in that other spot, Hal? I like Demarius Thomas there. You know, pretty much anybody going against that Kansas City secondary, there's going to be opportunities for big plays there. And like you said, coming from behind as well, they're going to be throwing the ball next week in Denver. No doubt about that. So Demarius Thomas just slightly over Shepard at this point. So Julian Edelman, Demarius Thomas will be your two wide receivers. Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, your two running backs, Matt, and Jared Goff, the quarterback. Travis Kelsey's his tight end. Put him in there every week. And for flex, uh, Shepard, Callaway, or Naeem Hines, I think you put Shepard at flex. Yeah, I I think Shepard's definitely in at the flex. Uh, Callaway, just too inconsistent. Too many one-two reception games this year. And Pittsburgh against Cleveland, that's a 
that's a dog fight. The, you're not going to have any big numbers in the passing game there from Cleveland. So I think it's pretty easy to go with Shepard there. I completely agree. And now moving on to our rapid fire predictions in which we predict the remaining games of week eight, starting with tonight's matchup in Houston, where the Texans play host to their former quarterback, Brock Osweiler, and the Miami Dolphins to wrap up the month of Brocktober. So uh, the Brocktober magic disappeared last week, and it's going to be an ugly, relatively low scoring game. But I like the Texans defense at home 23 to 16. Yeah, I have it a little more higher scoring. We're looking at two teams going in opposite directions. Miami started 3-0. and They're going downhill in a hurry. Houston started 0-3. They're on the up with four straight wins. Make it five. I see it a easy win for Houston, 33-20 to over the Dolphins. That wouldn't be a surprising outcome either. And as we alluded to in the beginning, the Jaguars and Eagles early Sunday morning from London in a must-win game for both these teams. I think uh, the Jaguars, I expect their defense to come out gangbusters, but the Eagles are going to have more of a hurt in them because of last week's debacle against the Carolina Panthers, in which they blew a 17-0 lead in the fourth quarter. I think uh, the Eagles will pick up their sense of urgency, and eke out a very close 20-17 to win over the Jaguars. I can't trust Blake Bortles anymore. I just can't. Even though he's Mr. London, I feel exactly the same way, David. I mean, Jacksonville scored 28 points in the last three games combined. I mean, that's just terrible. And I know the Eagles aren't running the football well. They really miss Jay Ajayi there at running back. They're um, 21st in the league in rushing yards, 23rd in yards per attempt. I just, you know, it's a, it'll be a defensive struggle for both teams, I think. Um, very low scoring, but I think the Eagles will pull it out in an ugly 16-13 to 13 win. I could see that happening as well. First placed in the NFC East currently belongs to the Washington Redskins. And this week, they're on the road against a team that is essentially in full rebuild mode right now, and rightfully so. They should have done it last season, but they waited too long. The New York Giants, and I think the Redskins stay in first place atop the NFC East with a pretty easy 27-13 win against the Giants. Uh, David, you're reading my mind. I have that written down right in front of me. Washington 27, the Giants 13. We are simpatico on that one to use the phrase again so uh, we're both in on that and I'll have more about the Redskins later when we get to our challenge flag oh absolutely and uh, we need a simpatico alert in the future don't we (laughs) (laughs) we certainly do (laughs) yep the Detroit Lions uh, are 3-3, three and three, and they play host to the Seattle Seahawks, who are 3-3. Three and three. I like the Detroit Lions in this game. The Lions have been playing much better football ever since that Week 1 disaster against the New York Jets. Uh, Matt Patricia, he seems to have finally gotten that team to buy into what he's selling them. And I think Matt Stafford should have no problem just shredding that Seattle Seahawks secondary. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks keep up. But it won't be enough because I think the Lions defense has more big plays in them. With a big snacks Harrison coming in, I think that should uh, help uh, deter the Seahawks run game quite a bit. And the Lions win 34-24. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the same thing. I think Detroit may even play a little bit better at home on defense, and I have the Lions 24-17 to 17 over the Seahawks. Yes, sir, and that's a must-win game for both teams in order to stay alive in the NFC playoff picture. The Chicago Bears on a two-game losing streak came oh so close to shocking the Patriots into getting that game in overtime on a Hail Mary. They play host to Sam Donald and the New York Jets this week. But with Khalil Mack not at 100%, I just don't trust this Bears defense. I think Sam Darnold goes on the road and gets a nice win against the Bears in an ugly fashion, though, 20-16. to Ooh, you know, I looked at that Bears game with the Patriots obviously a couple of times just because that's what I do with the Patriots games. And the Bears were dropping him back into coverage on almost 50% of the snaps. Khalil Mack dropping into coverage. I don't care if he's 50%. You get him after that quarterback. And I think the Bears may wake up a little bit with that and their tour of the uh, AFC East continuing with the Jets. I have the Bears bouncing back 24 to 17 over the Jets. We are not simpatico there. And this should be a very, very interesting game to watch. The Baltimore Ravens, Justin Tucker's lone missed PAT of his career came at the worst possible time. They were oh so close in getting the New Orleans Saints to overtime at home. They traveled to Carolina to face the Panthers after that huge come-from-behind victory on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles. This is going to be very close. Two teams with similar identities, mostly based on defense with the occasional big play on offense. It is going to be a tough-it-out, grind-it-out game, but... The edge narrowly goes to the home team here. I have the Panthers winning 23-20. to 20. Pretty close to that as well, you know. Um, I was thinking about it. I said, you know, geez, I could see Baltimore taking a 17 to nothing lead into the fourth quarter against Carolina, and could they do it again? Eh, maybe. Let's go Carolina 21-17 to 17 over Baltimore and leave that option open. I don't think it ends up that way. I don't think the Ravens' defense would surrender that many points uh, like the Eagles did uh, last week. But uh, 21-17 is a plausible final score for this game in favor of the Panthers. The Cincinnati Bengals hope to get back on track against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think they do. Uh, This Buccaneers' defense facing them at home, this absolutely pathetic defense. Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon should have absolutely no problem uh, performing very well against this defense. And uh, I think uh, the Bengals defense forced Jameis Winston into a couple of bad mistakes and they win a relatively high scoring game, um, 38-24. to 24. Ooh, I've got a little lower scoring than that. I don't believe in either team's defense really right now, but looking at Cincinnati, they give up just so many points. It's uh, the Falcons lit them up. The Panthers lit them up. Of course, the Chiefs lit them up. Everybody, the Chiefs light up everybody, but Tampa Bay, that offense has been sneaky good, and I've got them edging out Cincinnati on the road 28-26. to Interesting pick there, Hal. The Pittsburgh Steelers host the Cleveland Browns fresh off there by. I have the Steelers winning this game, but I have a feeling that it's going to be very close again. They win 31-28. How? Stay tuned for our bold predictions. Ooh, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I think Cleveland's got a shot. The, these two teams, they play each other tough. There's no love loss there. It's a typical AFC North battle. 
And you know what? Come on, Cleveland. Let's do it. 24-22, Browns over the Steelers. As talented as the Browns roster is, that has to be your upset special this week, Hal. <laughs> yeah, because who trusts Hugh Jackson on the road against the Steelers, even with a talented roster like this? In Baker Mayfield, I trust, not Hugh Jackson. <laughs> that makes sense. So hopefully Todd Haley will know better in this game than Hugh Jackson for the Browns' sake. The Kansas City Chiefs bounced back big time against the Bengals last Sunday night, and they play close to the Denver Broncos. As great as the Broncos looked on Thursday night last week, that was a mirage against an awful, awful Carl team. Yes, Bradley Chubb looks very, very promising. He's playing like that fifth overall pick that the Broncos picked him as. And this week, however, is a 180-degree different turn. Against the Chiefs at Arrowhead with Patrick Mahomes, uh, this game won't be like that Monday night game a couple weeks ago. I think the Chiefs have a very easy win here, 38-17. Oh, sound that simpatico alert here. I've got the Chiefs 35-16, to and nobody's calling for Chad Kelly to come off the bench when he's not there now in Denver. So, uh Big easy win for Kansas City. Yes, uh, the Oakland Raiders, who appear to be in full rebuild mode right now, they play host to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts may be 2-5, and five, but they've been playing very, very, very good football this year. They've had some unlucky bounces, but I think they get win number three on the season in relatively easy fashion here. I think the Colts are going to win 34-14. to 14. Uh Pretty close to that as well, David. I've got Indianapolis 31 to 12 over Oakland. I mean, this is a team that's two and five and they have a positive point differential. You just don't see that in the NFL. That record's getting closer to 500 as the season goes along for the Colts. I completely agree. And I think they couldn't have fired a better head coach in Frank Reich. Oh, great. I, I think they may have lucked. I mean, Josh McDaniels probably would have done all right there, but Frank Wright looks like a, a great fit. And his offense, such a great fit for preserving and keeping Andrew Luck upright. And that's already paid off for them this season, just being able to have him out there each week healthy. It most certainly does. And another stink bowl this week, the 49ers at 1-6. and six travel to Arizona to face the Cardinals who are 1-6 and and I think uh, Byron Leftwich the new offensive coordinator for the Cardinals who has been touted for years in NFL circles as a potential stud offensive coordinator I think he shows you why this Sunday as he dials up a great game plan for Josh Rosen and Rosen executes it to a T and the Arizona Cardinals win 27-13 Ooh, I like that pick for me I look at this game and I say well wait a minute we got to have an overtime game every week in the NFL in 2018 at least one so it may as well be this game and with all the ties why not let's have this stink bowl go 19 to 19 with a tie and nobody happy Ooh, I love that prediction Hal very very bold and last but not least a Monday night snoozer your New England Patriots travel to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills uh, Sean McDermott will have that defense playing uh, spiritually well uh, to start the game but it'll fall off the rails immediately then Patriots win a very easy one 31 to 6. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to believe in the Bills. I mean, this team beat the Vikings this year on the road, after all. But no Josh Allen. Ugh, you know, it's prime time. It's in Buffalo. 
those fans are going to be smashing those card tables before the game. It's going to be a sight to see. It's basically Buffalo's Super Bowl. They'll be in it. It'll be close at halftime. And then the Patriots are just going to pull away like they tend to do against anybody in the AFC East. And it's a 34-17 to Patriots win. And now for our Week 8 Bowl predictions. You go first, Hal. All right, my bold prediction. I I am picking against the Rams. That's my upset special, one of them, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, So not very bold. The Rams drop into 7-1. and You you know they're going to lose a game here and there. But they've got New Orleans on the schedule next week. Ooh, 7-2. Then they play Seattle, another tough NFC West dogfight. These two teams hate each other. Hmm, seven and three, and then Kansas City. Do the Rams go into their bye week seven and four? They're still the Super Bowl favorite, but that 16 and 0 season is going to be in the rearview mirror very quick for the Rams with my bold prediction of seven and four heading into the bye. Ooh, very interesting, Hal. I'll have to hold you to that uh, these next couple weeks, especially if the Packers pull it off uh, this Sunday. My bold prediction is this. The game that will go to overtime again, why not make it the Cleveland Browns again? After all, the Browns and Steelers went to overtime in week one. They'll go to overtime again in week eight, and they will come so close to a tie with one second left with the score tied at 28, but Chris Boswell kicks a 40-yard field goal to win the game with one second left in overtime. 31-28 Steelers with just one second on the clock in overtime. I like it. It's like, you know, Cleveland should just play 70 minutes every week. Why not? Yeah, they're a fun team to watch. Very talented, too. And how about our challenge flags? I think I'll go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. You fell asleep with the switch last week. No excuses and no buts about it. You had a 17-0 lead. You had the Panthers on the ropes. And you let Cam Newton just slice and dice you for the final 10 minutes of this game and score 21 unanswered points. So my challenge to you, Philadelphia Eagles, this is a must-win game for you to salvage your season. Play with urgency for 60 minutes, Philadelphia Eagles. And you should beat Blake Bortles if you play for 60 minutes. Oh, I like that challenge, David. Mine's going to the Gruden boys. To Jay, keep your eye on the prize. You're 4-2. You've got winnable games coming up at the Giants, against the inconsistent Falcons, at Tampa Bay. Those are three winnable games. You should be looking at the middle of November being 7-2 and two with a stranglehold on the NFC East and getting as much distance between yourself and the Eagles as you possibly can. To John Gruden, keep it up. Trade everyone, anyone with value. Get rid of them. Get a draft pick. You did the right thing with Cooper. You're committed to it. Trade Carr, trade Jordy Nelson, trade Reggie Nelson, Malcolm Gilchrist, Leon Hall, Rashawn Melvin. I don't care. Frosty Rucker, if you can get a pick for him. Get him out of Oakland. This team, you're going to blow it up anyways. Go full force until the trading deadline on the 30th and just ravage that team. Send yourself out of Oakland with style and get that number one pick, John Gruden. 
I completely agree there. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, from FullPressCoverage.com. If you're a Patriots fan, you can read his articles on the Patriots at MusketFire.com and BostonSportPage.com. And to talk to Hal on Twitter, just follow him at HalBent01. Hal, it's always a pleasure talking NFL with you week in and week out. Enjoy week eight, my friend. See you next week. Definitely will, David. Looking forward to it. And another great week of the NFL season is upon us. And I can't wait to see what it has in store for us. I can't wait either, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to preview week nine in this 2018 NFL season. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as always, stay awesome.